Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, where we interview SaaS founders, investors, operators, go-to-market folks, and everybody with an interesting way to grow a B2B business. Today, we have a very interesting company, something that I haven't seen quite before. Um, it's called Cenex, founded and run by Jihan Fuat Atkin, uh, who's joining us today. Hey, Jihan. Hey, Grant. Great to be on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's a B2B2C solution in the entertainment space. Uh, you're currently on the road very far away. So I'll let you tell the listeners exactly where you are and, and about the product and all that good stuff and what brought you out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually now, right now as we speak, I'm in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, we have a lot of traction and great uh, interest from the GCC. And this is a uh, booming market. Um, they're heavily investing and uh, getting into entertainment. And we're really excited to be here. So we're looking to launch Venue Mobile, which is our mobile solution for um, tablets and phones um, to bring premium ticketed entertainment directly to the consumer. So, I mean, that's a little bit about our product. Uh, this was founded uh, a little bit right before COVID. And COVID obviously um, kind of accelerated our, uh, our, our, our need to finish the product and get it out there. Um, what we do is we provide the marketplace for content owners um, that, are, that are releasing movies in cinemas and live events uh, to be streamed directly to the consumer. And the way we do it is we have the patents to detect the number of people actually watching and we sell tickets per person. So we turn your TV or your mobile devices into a ticketed exhibition. And this gives us the ability to provide accountability and ensure that uh, we're replicating that ticketed exhibition model so content uh, distributors can use our marketplace to expand their audience, their ticketed audience, and engage with more fans. Really cool stuff. I just remember at the beginning of COVID, maybe you know a few months in, uh, some of the cinematic releases that were slated to go that obviously there was no people in the theaters, they did really like rudimentary versions of what you're describing, which was, you know, you could watch this movie that was typically in that you'd be in the theaters to see, and it'd be like anywhere from 30 to $50 on, you know, your Apple product or whatever it may be, or maybe Amazon. Um, so tell me how like those experiences informed your product and a little bit more about the pay-per-view uh, pricing model as well, because that's like definitely very innovative. Sure. So yes, exactly. Like you said, in, in the COVID uh, window, the studios, since the theaters were shut down, had to uh, find a solution, right, to get content into the, um, into the, out to the consumers. And what happened was these guys already had streaming services, and so they thought that, you know, putting these movies onto their streaming services would be a great way to get consumers access to them, but at the same time uh, get a lot of subscribers uh, onto their services, which in a way worked. I guess they did get a lot of subscribers, but they quickly realized that the, uh, the, the business model didn't quite pan out. Um, I was obviously they lost a lot of money because uh, selling tickets per person is very different from selling a 10, 20, 30 dollar uh, you know transactional uh, you know VOD and then having God knows how many people in the room that are participating. But since the theaters were shut down, um, there was really no other way. Mm -hmm. As the theaters started opening back up, we saw a 45 day exclusive theatrical window uh, get put in place. And now we have some, um, you know, legendary industry uh, leaders like Bob Iger that come out and talk about how 
this, um, you know, this hoarding of their content onto their own platforms was not the best idea, was not the best model. And now we're seeing how the theatrical model is actually very much necessary to, to build the, the, the excitement. And really, it's the box office numbers that dictate the value of your content down the pipeline. So uh, theaters are definitely something that uh, the industry needs. And it's definitely something that we support. We fully support the theatrical exhibition because that's an, that's an experience that you can't replicate anywhere else. However, there are bottlenecks that limit the, the ticket sales. So such as hours of operation, um, you know, show times, uh, access, you know, limited seating. Um, if, if not everybody lives near a cinema. So what we did was we created Venue to be a uh, marketplace that expands ticketed exhibitions. So people that can't get to a cinema for whatever reason, people that can't uh, get to a showtime or, or they have little children or they're or handicapped, whatever the case may be, now can use Venue to access that content while it's in cinemas, while the demand is high and do it so without cannibalizing the business, without, um, you know, hurting hurting the exhibition business as well as studios revenue, and eventually the ticket sales on venue will account for box office. So you'll have your physical box office numbers, and then you'll have your digital box office numbers, and combined, it will just increase the value of content um, altogether. So this is, in our minds, a win-win for the industry because not only are they able to get fans and and, and consumers engaged during the most uh, uh, important and most um, premium window. But at the same time, they can now sell exponentially more tickets and, uh, and capitalize on this model. And like I said, increase the value of their business and the value of their assets, which trickles down and helps you know, artists and, and everyone involved in the production. Um, and also with the data that we're able to collect because of, of the way that our system is designed, uh, we don't do facial recognition, but um, we are able to track obviously how engage the audience are and with that type of data these content creators can now start making uh, better content right that uh, mm -hmm. this is data that they haven't had before so we're very excited about it and then leading from that um, venues not just for filmed content anything live is also something that we'll be able to stream so whether it's concerts musicals operas symphonies uh, plays anything that would require physical attendance and a ticket per person can actually be streamed on venue replicating that same model. So if an artist now has a two city tour or a three city tour, they can actually now expand the audience and just engage with, you know, exponentially more fans for that live event. Mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot to unpack. There are a lot of really fascinating concepts. First of all, like I think that like the timing and like with so many products and companies, um, the success is you know disproportionately determined by timing but you find that like even in the run-up to covid um, um you know at least i can speak for americans which i know the statistics of generally is they were going to the theaters less um you saw that the home movie viewing experience um both from a number of options they had with you know the proliferation of all the streaming platforms and then sort of a moore's law situation happening where people were able to get bigger higher quality TVs at lower prices, um, you know, led people less to go to the theaters where like, if you could be comfortable at your home and watch something for a discounted price or even free, people were increasingly taking that option. That being said, you know, I think there's like necessarily this trade-off, which you, which you described well, which was like, 
you know, if you are someone who creates a movie, if you're a content creator, you know, there is the archetype of the, you know, very artistic director who only wants to see their movie, like um, only wants the audience to see their movie in the right setting, which would be a theater. Like if you think of Christopher Nolan and Tenet, there was like a meme about people watching Tenet on very small screens, like, and the joke, like the way that Christopher Nolan intended, I thought that was really funny. Um, but at the same time, like what you're saying is this necessarily a democratizing aspect where folks that maybe don't have access to the theaters go. So that's really fascinating. But then one uh, other specific thing I really want to unpack is more about, um, and you know, I don't want to highlight something that might get you in trouble, but the um, the like the recognition part of this, and like you know, um, uh, once with roommates we had we were a, Niel a Nielsen TV, and that tracked our viewing a little bit. But tell me about like the um, the intentiveness because I think that's like another like really interesting trend that you have you know that you're now part of because you know there's also a stereotype now of everybody just being on TikTok or on their phones even when they're watching TV like and the whole polarization uh, you know the generation of content that is like background noise so to speak uh, which is you know obviously extremely opposite of going to a movie theater so curious how you how you measure that and what you're really looking for in terms of you know attentiveness and how people actually engage with the content yeah sure so just just also be clear we don't do facial recognition it's not recognition yep. at all we're just doing detection so we don't we don't tie uh, profiles or names or attributes to the to actual viewers um the system is basically seeing if there's you know it does a probability uh, using ai um, on male, female, between the ages of, and potentially what what um, uh, ethnicity that sure. the, the viewers may be, but it's all probability based. And what that does is it, it's it's the the AI is getting much better and better. So the probability, especially in like good lighting, is very accurate. So this provides mm -hmm. content creators and potentially advertisers because right before the main movie starts, we do have a couple ads that show just like the cinema would. It's not 15 minutes long, but it is. It is a pre-show, and um, we're able to tell advertisers exactly who, how many people and what uh, probability of their demographics are that actually tuned into the to the ad and watched the ad. So I think this is really important because right now you have, um, you know, for example, a Nike commercial comes on, um, nobody may be in the room, and Nike doesn't know this. Neither does, uh, you know, the, the cable box company. They're assuming people are home because the TV's on, or they're assuming you know, that, that at least one person's watching, but that person may be in the kitchen and the TV's just on, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And the, the, that, that Nike commercial was seen by the dog and the dog doesn't buy shoes, right? So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, gray area there, which we think that our technology can, can really help um, clear up. And also we've made it very secure. It's 128-bit uh, encryption. Um, the device, if you're using the Video X device on the TV, has a privacy cover that you can shut. Uh, when the cameras are on, both on mobile and on the TV device, there's a little light that comes on that indicates the camera's active. And you have to give it permission to be active, just like if you were doing a Zoom call, right? You give the camera permission to be on. So these are the same protocols that we use. Um, so there's no nothing hidden or nothing nothing um, secretive about it. You don't, the camera's not on 24-7 just randomly watching you. Um, and the microphone's not on either. It's not like we're tracking someone saying hello Google or hello Siri. We're literally just using the camera to make sure that the number of engaged viewers are accounted for. So if there's five people watching the movie, there's five tickets. And, and that's purely what we use it for. And, mm -hmm. and that's what we use to create this uh, exhibition model in the comfort of your home or on, on your mobile devices. Now the mobile devices are limited to two people because we do want to uh, maintain the quality of the experience. I don't think it'd be fun to have like five people crowd around a, a tablet to watch Avatar 2, for example. <laughs> but um, if, if, if you and your significant other 
um, want to watch Avatar, you know, cuddled up on the couch on your on your tablet or your phone, you can definitely do that. Uh, but if there's more than uh, two people, it'll actually pause the content and tell you to take it to the TV for a group experience. And when you do that, when you take the content to the TV, the mobile app actually becomes a second screen where you can do watch parties, you can do backstage VIP access, meet and greet with the artist, uh, green screen selfie with the artist. These are all, uh, aside from the watch parties, the other ones are all immersive experiences that are an upcharge, but um, they are exactly that, immersive experiences, which I think is the future of entertainment. I I don't think um, the future is just about streaming in 4K. I think it's about being engaged and how, how you can get engaged with the event or or engage with the artists that, that you're a super fan of, right? So this is the kind of things that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really fascinating, especially the part about TV commercials, because you know, with that, what you've described, which is essentially demographic data, which is, you know, as a marketer, as a as somebody who runs a digital marketing agency, what you're always trying to fine-tune is you know what messages work with what people and does that drive buying behavior how does that change their individual buying journey and you know there is like something as grand as a super bowl ad where companies spend literally tens of millions of dollars and in you know it's the attribution is inherently really obscured and to have data of you know um using the example of a super bowl party everyone laughed at the doritos commercial you know and then or, you know, like for this commercial that was maybe, you know, of a slower pace or a certain tone, um, everyone decided this was the perfect time to go to the bathroom. You know, I think that's extremely fascinating um, to nerd out on the commercials of it all. Um, but as as much as I, I could, you know, nerd about these things, and, and you, thank you for being really um, forthcoming with a lot of this, this really technical information, which is fun. Um, we'd love to understand your go-to-market, like what's worked for you in terms of, you know, finding new customers, what's your sales process right now? And we'd love to just hear about that. Sure. So we're a marketplace. We don't uh, buy content. We don't license content. We definitely don't want to spend billions of dollars making content. There's plenty of content coming down to the premium window, um, but these guys are looking for ways to access eyeballs. So what we've done is created a marketplace where the content distributor or the live artist and, and their management, whoever's doing the live production, has access to the back end where they can create the campaign and upload the content or live stream the content and set their own ticket prices. They can also regionalize um, the stream so they can geofence and make it available, let's say, just in Riyadh and or all of Saudi Arabia and, and black out the rest of the world or make it available you know, worldwide. So this gives the, the content owner um, the ability to expand their audience. When we sell tickets, we take a small portion of each ticket and we obviously have to pay um, Google and Apple for their uh, fees as well. But then the rest of the ticket goes straight to the content owner. So um, and our model shows that they'd be making more with us than they would be making with the traditional uh, outlets, which, which is really cool because ultimately that's what we want to do. We want to not only create um, access to these wonderful pieces of art, these stories and these cultural events, but at the same time, we want to make it so it's profitable and it's, it's valuable for the actual artists. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, the, the value proposition is very obvious to me. It is, you know, additional TAM on top of what is the your current audience. And that TAM is everybody with a smartphone, apparently. So we'd love to understand like how those sales ca- calls go when you're talking to content creators. Are these um, movie studios? I know you said you're working with the GCC now. 
Um, are these individual creators like what does that look like and and how does that sales cycle work for you? And like, you know, is this something where it takes a long time to explain to them or, you know, it seems like it's relatively free for them to sign up, right? Yeah, there's absolutely no cost for content creators to sign up. Um, and right now, in the future, we are thinking of different tiers, uh, like a business and an enterprise tier on the SaaS side to be able to offer like an annual subscription. But that will come with very, very uh, um, specific tools and different mm -hmm. uh, features that, that that may be very, very valuable for them. But in the beginning, right now, just being a content provider for venue is absolutely free. But you have to be a professional content creator or an artist. So it's not like, you know, Joe with his GoPro on carving up the snow at, uh, at, 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 a, at some mountain. Because that's, I don't think anyone would buy a ticket for that. And there's different outlets for that. We're only focused on that premium uh, content creation, that premium space. So think of it like a YouTube, but for the premium content, the professional content creators. And mm -hmm. it has... It has the pay-per-viewer aspect of it, so we can replicate the same ticketed model that is being used at the arenas or at the movie theaters. And um, what the way it works is we reach out directly to the studios or to the distributors in the market. For example, in the Middle East, there's um, theatrical distributors that buy the license, the rights to the movies from the content owner to distribute it theatrically. So those people would be the ones that we directly communicate with and say, look, you're already putting this movie in 150 uh, cinemas throughout the GCC. Here is another outlet for you to put it on at no cost to you. And you can reach a lot more people. And when we sell tickets, this is the percentage that you get. And, uh, and we, you know, until now, because we haven't had a finished product, we just finished the product and we're just now gearing to launch. Um, the discussions have been very positive, but now they're getting really exciting because we're able to sit down and show them the actual product in action and they get to see it instead of just hear about it. And uh, it's, it's becoming uh, very real. So now uh, in the GCC in the MENA region, at least, we're going to be launching in the next couple of months. Uh, we'll be fully active. So we're just now aligning with uh, telcos. Now, the reason is that the reason for that is as a startup, we'd have to raise a ton of money to be able to market uh, the product to consumers. But if we align with telecoms that actually have millions of users, then as, as a strategic partner, then we just rely on them for the market. They just reach out to their user base through their channels of advertising and say, hey, you can't watch 65 in cinemas today, check it out on venue, you know? And then uh, we drive traffic to the venue app on the app store or the, um, you know, the, the Play Store. And this mm -hmm. has kind of been the strategy which, can, uh, which kind of helps us market the product it also helps them provide a value add proposition to their customers. So it's a win-win for them as a win-win for us. And this is the strategy that we've been taking on and it's, it's, it's been resonating with everybody. And it looks like this is going to be the path forward. Awesome. That's really exciting stuff. Um, have you invested in like, how are you planning to go to market uh, in new geographies potentially? Like, I don't know if you've looked at stuff in the States, sounds like you get a lot of traction in MENA. Um, but like, is that something where there is like necessarily like, because it's sort of a vertical play, a lot of education in the market or how does that work? Yeah. So um, we're partnering with uh, some big industry leaders out here. Um, we're currently in POC with them. I can't drop any names. Unfortunately, okay. I am, uh, <laughs> I'm under contract, but um, the, the, the telecoms and the, and the industry leaders we're talking to um there's, it's not a secret that people want access to entertainment, right? Especially movies that are in cinemas. So the message is pretty clear. If you can't watch Avatar 2 in cinemas, 
catch it on venue. And um, I'm not saying that Avatar is on venue. We don't have any theatrical movies on mm-hmm. venue right now. I'm just using that as an example. But mm-hmm. it's, it's the message is very simple. For example, Beyonce is going to have a, a, a very uh, uh, anticipated and uh, a tour that's coming up. So um, if she wanted to stream it into the MENA region, uh, one of our telecom partners would be able to just advertise and directly you know, send out messages to their users, their millions of users saying, hey, if you want to catch uh, Beyonce live from New York or Beyonce live from you know, Europe, wherever she's at, um, and she's streaming on venue, then this would give consumers the ability to just jump on venue, buy tickets, and tune in for the live event. So, and in parallel, now all of a sudden, uh, Beyonce has potentially hundreds of thousands or if not millions more fans tuning in, buying a ticket per person to be able to watch her live perform from uh, Berlin, just make, you know, pick, pick a city. So I think this is going to be really exciting. Um, in the beginning, obviously, we're going to, we probably won't have the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's, but as we grow and create traction, we're going to start getting some of these big artists. Um, for example, Chris Rock just did a special on Netflix. Oh, yeah. If he would have done, done a special like that on Venue, he could literally have had his own production crew live stream from a much smaller venue and stream it to millions of people and sell a ticket per person to watch him do his next special. And, and um, this would essentially, uh, hypothetically, looking at the numbers, he would make significantly more with our system than he did through the, uh, the rumored 40 million that he got from Netflix for the two specials. Yeah, I mean, that's what's always interesting is how close to the vest Netflix keeps their own streaming numbers. This seems like an obvious reason why they would do it. I'm sure you have a really good competitive intelligence understanding of exactly those trade-offs. So really fascinated to, to follow your journey. Uh, really exciting stuff. A lot of great headwinds, you know, working in your favor. Um, is there anything else you'd like to promote uh, in the remaining time left, Gian? Um, no, thanks. Thanks so much for the spotlight and for the opportunity to be on the podcast. Um, I would say to everyone listening in and tuning in that we are coming out uh, in the next couple months on mobile. And then shortly after that, by Q4, we're looking to launch the hardware for TVs. And uh, just you know, follow us on social media. Uh, check us out on the web at xcinex.com. And uh, you know, if you have any questions, reach out to us on social media. And uh, we're really excited to, to be on this journey and, and bring the ultimate streaming experience to our fans worldwide. Really exciting stuff. Thank you for the time. Thank you.